You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Sharpton is not a minister. He's a disciple of politics disguised as a disciple of God. His role is to bait religious people, particularly black religious people, into abandoning their faith, values, and principles for political power. All right. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. And if you're just patient enough, I'm going to explain exactly what I'm talking about. Happy Thursday. Happy day before Friday. The weekend is almost here. We have a fantastic show uh, planned for you today. I've got a fire starter about Al Sharpton. I just gave you a little preview, a little taste of. It's going to get really hot in here. And Dave Shannon's going to help me fan the flames. Delano Squire is going to help me fan the flames. And Steve Kim is going to help me fan the flames when we talk about uh, Jamel Hill and her memoir. Uh, but you know what? Let's get this party started. Let's get this fire fully started. Let's get it rolling on a Thursday. All right, Al Sharpton, he credits James Brown with teaching him to be a man. It explains why Reverend Al is the most poisonous heretic in American history. Sharpton has spent much of the past week attacking the pro-life movement and the Supreme Court for overturning Roe v. Wade. During an appearance on MSNBC's Morning Joe program, Sharpton claimed that the pro-life movement has hijacked the Bible. Take a listen. Real Christians that really study the Bible ought to be incensed. I I've been a preacher since I was a little boy. I am incensed and insulted that they have hijacked the Bible and Jesus to distort and misquote, well, it's not even misquote, create quotes that are not there to justify a right-wing uh, kind of ideology that would take away the rights of women and then schedule to take other people's rights. And, and it, what is strange to me is, Joe, they can see a scripture that is not there about abortion, but they couldn't see love your neighbor when it came down to uh, put, putting things through that would help <clears throat> the poor and help the needy. They couldn't see that. They didn't see Jesus healing the sick when we were dealing with affordable health care. The things that are in the Bible they missed and they put things that were not in the Bible there and many gullible and insecure Democrats who probably hadn't read the Bible themselves got nervous if they would read the Bible and fight back they would not be in this situation Al Sharpton is not a minister he's a disciple of politics disguised as a disciple of God his role is to bait religious people, particularly black religious people, into abandoning their faith, values, and principles 
for political power. For people of faith, abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral one, a spiritual one. It's about the value of human life and where that life begins. The Bible, in numerous passages and verses, makes it clear that life begins in the womb and that a mother's womb is sacred. I don't have a problem with non-religious people arguing for abortion. They believe the Bible is fiction. They don't pretend to have a biblical worldview. My problem is with people like Sharpton, who espouse and promote secular values while professing a deep respect for and allegiance to biblical values. Sharpton is worse than a heretic. What he's doing is evil. It's intentionally misleading. He should quit calling himself a minister or a reverend. He should renounce his faith. He's an entertainer, a performer, and a con artist. The original R. Kelly discipled Al Sharpton. Before fully committing himself to working as a knockoff Jesse Jackson, Sharpton served as the godfather of souls, tour manager, and enabler for eight years. James Brown raised Al Sharpton. Brown, like R. Kelly, used his money and fame to satiate his illicit taste for women and drugs. Say it loud, James Brown was violent, high, and vile. He dodged rape and domestic violence allegations. He married four times. Sharpton witnessed Brown's immorality and saw a father figure. Listen to Reverend Al in his own words. He said, uh, when we get to Mr. Bennett, I want you to let him do your hair like mine. And he said, I want people when they see me and you walk in the White House to see you as a reflection like my son. And that's he why really I started did. doing my hair. Wow. He fashioned and modeled me in many ways like him. And because I didn't have a father figure, he became that. And years later, as I became known, I got a lot of flack from some of my more Afrocentric brothers. Get that conk out your hair. But they didn't understand it wasn't a style. It was a bonding mm -hmm. for me to validate mm -hmm. that a man felt I was worthy to emulate them that I didn't get from my father. There you go, mystery solved. If you're wondering how a self-proclaimed minister could demonize the pro-life movement, take a look at Sharpton's role model. Like R. Kelly, James Brown recorded classic inspiring music while living the life of a predatory degenerate. The pro-life movement hijacked the Bible and Jesus, really? Sharpton did that. He helped convince a large swath of Christians that our duty is to ease the consequences of biblical disobedience rather than to teach the poor and the needy the benefits of biblical obedience. Sharpton promotes the secular view of charity, an organization set up to promote, to provide help and raise money for those in need. For believers, Charity simply means love. The greatest form of biblical love is discipling men and women in the ways of Jesus Christ and witnessing those ways transform that person. Christians believe love transforms. Non-religious people believe money transforms. That's why as soon as the Supreme Court overturned Roe, the left immediately began agitating for the government to finance more programs for single mothers. Sharpton claims to be a minister. He should be agitating 
for a decrease in single motherhood, promiscuous and irresponsible sex, and an increase in marriage and responsible sex. But the man who taught Sharpton to be a man did not respect marriage or responsible sex. Sharpton is a man of the world teaching secular solutions to spiritual problems. The secular world believes man has made a pill to solve every problem. If you're like me, if you eat too much, take this pill to control your blood sugar. If you can't re resist unprotected sex, take this pill to abort the baby. If you ignored your schoolwork and can't land a high paying job, blame racism, sexism, or homophobia. Whatever problem afflicts you, look to the government to fix it. Never look at the man or woman in the mirror. Never adopt the mindset and values spelled out in the Bible. Al Sharpton is evil and weak. He distorts biblical truth for 20 pieces of silver from the Democratic Party. He's never really hidden this. He began promoting same-sex marriage in 2004 when he ran for president. He paved the road for Barack Obama to come out of the closet and disavow a biblical worldview. Sharpton's job is to lead black people to hell and assuage the guilt of white liberals. He's worse than Jim Jones, the 1970s minister turned cult leader who seduced primarily black followers into Marxism and mass suicide. Mm. That's my fire. I don't think I've gone overboard here. How can you compare Al Sharpton to Jim Jones? How could I not? How could I not? When you start walking people away from their religious values, people who use their religious values and biblical worldview to survive slavery and overcome it, who used it to survive Jim Crow and overcome it, who used it to promote freedom and liberate themselves. When you start walking them away from those values, you're walking them towards death. This whole abortion culture is about death. I get like Jim Jones, Guyana tragedy and all them people drinking the Kool-Aid and dying. What, what was that? Three, four, five hundred people. I, I, I'm not sure. I have to go back and check. But millions have died because of abortion. Million. Let's take abortion off the table. Millions have died and suffered the consequences of walking away from a biblical worldview. We're looking at black progress come to a screeching halt over the last 50, 60 years, a screeching halt, no progress, educationally, wealth gap, any of those gaps, no progress, handful of elites are all benefiting, but the great mass and people like Al Sharpton who have gotten their 20 pieces of silver and get to run in and out of the White House when Barack Obama's there and friends with Joe Biden and in that elite crowd, they have benefited. But the great mass of people that they are telling, walk away from your biblical worldview, those people are suffering. 
again, if you understand the Bible and its use of the word charity, it's talking about love. It's not talking about, and again, if you go to the dictionary and look for its definition of charity, it's about donations and raising money and giving it to the needy. That's two different, that's not love, that's money. Money does not fix things. I'm just, I've had plenty of it. I got more than enough now. It does not fix things. It covers up problems, allows you to live with problems, but it does not correct those problems. Love actually does. Discipling people in the ways of Christ actually fixes things. And again, I'm holding Al Sharpton to this standard because he calls himself a Christian. He uses the title of reverend and minister. I've been ordained since I was nine years old. Who ordains a nine-year-old? A group of clowns? Has, has Al Sharpton been to seminary school? It doesn't sound like it from the secular stuff he preaches. This man is taking people, particularly black people, straight to hell. And to sit up here and to blame the pro-life movement, which is coming directly from scripture and all the different things scripture and the Bible and the gospel says about the womb and where God first knew man in the womb. He made you in the womb. It's repeatedly talked about throughout scripture. And to sit here and act like the pro-life people have distorted the Bible and have hijacked the Bible and Jesus because they want to stop abortion. A minister saying this, this is ridiculous. It's crazy. It's satanic. It's evil. He will pay a price. He will have to answer for that. And again, those of you, anybody watching who's a non-believer, I'm not talking to you. You can do, think, say whatever you want. It's a free country. But running around here calling yourself a minister and making these types of public statements and influencing people to, to, to away from a biblical worldview that had it, relied on it, used it to, to overcome all kinds of different situations and problems, to walk them away from that, that is evil and satanic. I, 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 uh, Jamel Hill, and, and we'll talk about her a little bit today, a little later in the show, but I, I, I read her column in The Atlantic about, and, and again, Al Sharpton is a part, and again, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jamel Hill's a non-believer because she certainly doesn't mention this in her column. But, but she starts out a column talking about, I had an abortion when I was 26 years old. I was not raped. I wasn't the victim of incest. I was not in the midst of a life-threatening medical emergency. I simply had no desire to give birth to a child. That's the mindset we've created. 
We have no respect for life. And again, if you're a minister and you're contributing to this mindset, this culture where people have no respect for life and that having an abortion is just like changing underwear or deciding what color shirt to wear. It's just a decision. It's just a choice you make. And I don't feel bad or good about it. I don't feel anything. I just put on new underwear. I just had an abortion because I felt like it. It's a sick world. Dave Shannon, uh, welcome uh, to the show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm calling Al Sharpton the most poisonous heretic in American history. Am I exaggerating? Uh, maybe a little bit with the, the most. He is pretty poisonous, though. I think if Jesus was here, he would have some harsher words to say about Al Sharpton, though. I think he would say that it better be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and thrown into the ocean than to offend one of these little ones, particularly leading people astray, but also the little ones in the womb. I also think Jesus might say something like prostitutes and tax collectors will enter the kingdom of heaven before Al Sharpton because he at least... Uh, does not know what the tax collector like Zacchaeus knew and what the prostitute like Mary Magdalene knew, which was, I'm a sinner, a very gross sinner, and I need a great savior who can save me. Al Sharpton seems not to know that message, and he's supposed to be a minister of the gospel with that message. And so, like, I think we've had some pretty amazing heretics in America. There's no doubt about that. Al Sharpton might not be the worst because— <laughs> I mean, does anybody really think that Al Sharpton's theological wit is has any sort of foundation, any sort of depth? I mean, I asked my kids, my kid, um, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, and I have eleven-year-old. I asked them, I was like, "So why is abortion wrong?" And my children easily said, "Well, Dad, it's breaking the commandment. You can't murder." So I mean, if my kids know this, they they have a, some depth of theological information because I trained them. But that's like Christianity 101. I, I don't think that anybody is really taking Al Sharpton serious. I mean, look at the image. You gonna take that seriously as a minister? You know that's a joke. It feels like we're watching an Eddie Murphy movie. Like, this is what he make it like. This is what this is. Oh, God is good. I mean, we know that's not real. Everybody knows that's fake. Al Sharpton is just a justification for people to live in their sin and enjoy it. And the the left is using Al Sharpton to make sure that their their guilt is um, pacified. And they're using his his credentials to feel good about who they are and the reason that they're doing what they're doing. But nobody takes Al Sharpton seriously as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the fact that he calls himself one, God is going to judge him very, very, very harshly. And if he doesn't repent, he's going to see Jesus and he's going to say, depart from me, you evil man, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. All right. What I've crystallized this and, and what Al Sharpton said on Morning Joe and, and just my reaction and giving it thought, it helped me crystallize like, hey, we have, when you move away from biblical truth, it leads to misunderstanding. And so we've yeah. perverted the word charity. And again, if you go to the Bible, charity means love. If you go to the dictionary, charity means raising money, foundations built around raising money and donations to give to the poor. And so th there's, I'm crystallizing this as Christians believe love transforms, atheists believe money transforms, 
Do you think, have I surmised this properly? Yeah, I think that's a good summation. I also want to think that when we talk about charity, we are talking about love. And when we talk about love, there is no greater love than a man lay down his life for a friend. That's what Jesus did. So when we're looking at charity, we're looking at love. We're looking at Jesus ultimately because he's the embodiment of that very thing. And so when we're what Jesus came to do in the world was to set everything right. It's very, very hard to be charitable to somebody who you're trying to kill. So if we're going to talk about charity, (laughs) the first thing we want to do is talk about what it means to care about somebody's life, particularly the most vulnerable, the ones that are in the womb. So you cannot talk about charity on any end, whether you're talking about money, because you might use money in in charity, but it's the charity, the heart of love that the money is serving to make sure that the the end goal of that person comes out to be one that would make them more like Jesus. So if I don't have that foundation, it doesn't matter what I do. Can, can we use money in charity? Absolutely. The Bible talks about this. If you see someone who uh, is in need of a coat, you give them a coat, right? So there's, there's things that we can do that are in that. But what's driving that is the humanity of the individual. Now, if you have money to try to solve problem without a moral code or a value that, that wants to see human flourishing – then you're grasping and you're making an idol out of money instead of using it within the system of the value that Christ brings in making every person valuable. I, I don't disagree with you, but yeah. but I just for clarity's sake, I, I think that capturing the mind, transforming the mindset discipling, teaching someone the ways of Christ. Again, that's a capture. And once you do that, that person will be transformed. And and many of their needs, if not all of their needs, will get met. Uh, you know, maybe they have some physical ailment or whatever that, and they, they will need help. But I, I believe the battle is in the mind and in the heart and, and the left and people like Al Sharpton with the secular view believes the battle is all about the wallet. And so I'm not discounting. I understand the power of money. I've had it. I've used it to help people. I've used it to help myself. But if you don't capture the mind first and the heart, it doesn't matter how much money someone has. R. Kelly, a lot of money. James Brown, a lot of money. Uh... You know, but their their hearts and minds aren't right, and so their fruit is no good. That's exactly right. I, that's exact. I'm agreeing with you completely on that. Um, and I, the way that I would argue that is like faith without works is dead. Like if you don't have works that come with your faith, so your faith is repenting, coming to a right understanding of how God made the world, who Jesus is, and coming under submission of that message. And the works are going about acting like Jesus, making the world better in the ways that you have influence in your own sphere. Now, if you do that, like you just said, if you do works without faith, that's also dead because you don't have a transformed heart for the works to actually take place, right? And so, You have to have both of those. It's not one or the other. Both work together in order to be able to accomplish that goal. And I think even, you know, even Republicans and even on the conservative side, we think, oh, if we can create another system, we've seen from the issues with our schools all the way down to gun violence in our streets, 
everything is a heart issue. The tools are good tools, valuable tools to use for protecting and loving our neighbors when we need to. But if we don't have the right hearts, our schools are not going to be transformed in any sort of real meaningful way. I don't care how many ways you decide to, to try and protect them with laws. Laws are only going to work if the heart is transformed. And it's the same way with how we think about charity. We can try and fix our poverty problem all we want by tossing money at it. But until we have a heart for the people, particularly ones that are in the womb, and learn to value them, we won't even begin to learn to value the people outside of the womb. So those two things are connected far more than I think we even think when it comes to charity and love and obedience. Don't want to put you on the defensive. I do want you to expound on my my original thought in terms of I, I authentically believe he's the most poisonous heretic I've ever seen. I think he's worse than Jim Jones, and who was a monster and used trickery and Marxism and seduced a mostly black people to go over to Guyana and commit mass suicide. When, when I'm asking you for enlightenment and education, maybe I can't think of other religious heretics that I should know about that are worse than what I've seen over the last 30, 40 years from Al Sharpton. Um, I can think of a few only because inside of religious circles, we have dealt with heresies that attack the Christhood of uh, attack the personality of Jesus Christ and said he's not God. We have other heresies like guys from Greg Boyd who say that God doesn't know the future. You know, those are um, and these guys are with inside of the church who are respected, who are creating a very false, false understanding of who God is in his person, which is extremely uh, detrimental to even how we understand ourselves once we mess those kind of things up too. Now, Al Sharpton's influence in the black community um, has been waning for a long time. And I think the only reason that he even has clout in our community is because when you're hurting or something is going on and you're trying to get people to understand what's happening in your sphere, the people who show up are the ones that you end up, you know, embracing. And even if you don't like them, I mean, when you talk to some folks, they know Al Sharpton is a joke. They know that he's not a real reverend. I even hear jokes, people saying we're in the barbershop. They're like, hey, I don't even know a sermon I've ever heard from Al Sharpton. I don't know what sermon he preaches. I know he can hoot and holler because he do that all the time. But I don't expect any real theological enrichment from somebody like this. They know he's a politician. So I don't think that Al Sharpton in the game, I mean, I'm not trying to discredit what you're saying, but I'm just going to say inside of theological evangelicalism, Al Sharpton has no weight whatsoever. We all know he's a fake politician. I I agree with that, but I also think that perhaps you're underestimating how many people sitting in a church every Sunday and Wednesday and think they're the best Christians or whatever. But, but when they're at home, they're turning on MSNBC and Al Sharpton is justifying in their mind, like, yeah, I'm Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the rest of this week, and as it relates to abortion, and as it relates to same-sex marriage, and as it relates to all, any number of issues, Ah, I put that aside and look, look, Al Sharpton, he's a minister and he puts it aside. 
and and he so why can't I, I I just think his cultural influence and what he represents and why he was again used as a tool by Barack Obama and the Democratic Party he plays an important role that whereas I think the people you're talking about deep inside the religious move I, 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 I think their impact at a particular church is strong, but this massive impact that I see, and it's a very subtle impact mm. that Al Sharpton, he, he, he gives people permission to set aside their biblical beliefs and, and embrace political beliefs that are in complete objection to a biblical worldview and what they know to be the truth. He gives people permission to do that. And, and he's an important prop. The guy's a terrible television broadcaster. He can barely read a prompter. There's a reason why they keep him on television. He's not good at it, but they keep him there, keep him there with that title, the Reverend Al Sharpton. Now, Al, you come on and tell the, our viewers and our audience that the pro-life people, they've hijacked the Bible. And, and, and I'm t I think there are people sitting there nodding their head going, yeah, them evangelical conservatives, they've hijacked the Bible. And, and they believe in the sanctity of life. And we know the sanctity of life is decided by woman, not by God, not by what's in the scripture. Woman decides when a life is sanctified. That's what I hear from Al Sharpton. And, and I think it resonates with a lot of people. I think I don't disagree that it resonates with a lot of people, but the reason it resonates isn't because Al Sharpton is leading the way so much is that they have itching ears. The Bible talks about people with itching ears. They have a certain ideology that they already have inside of them that they want to see portrayed out inside of the culture. And it's a false ideology, a false worldview. And so what the Bible says that they do is that they gather up teachers who will scratch those ears and give them what it is that they want inside of uh, whatever platform it is, inside of culture, society. So those people are the kind of folks who, it, it wouldn't even have to be out, it would be anybody. If they're watching MSNBC, they already got engineers. I just want to say that, <laughs> first of all. But the problem has, Sharpton is the pimple that is manifesting from something that's deeper inside of the individual. And that's all he is. The people have the problem. They they believe that way before Al Sharpton infused that inside of them. He still has a responsibility, absolutely, because he if he claims to be the minister of the gospel that he is, he's not supposed to itch the ears. He's supposed to box the ears. He's supposed to have a match with the ears and say, I know what you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you the truth. But that's not what he is. He's scratching those ears. Oh, is that itch for you? Oh, let me get you. I'll give it just what you want. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no guilt. You can do whatever you want. You can decide, like the serpent said, you can decide when a life begins. You can decide what life is. You can, you can make your own reality. I just don't think that people who are going to good churches um, and don't have itching ears are hearing Al Sharpton and taking him seriously in any kind of way. And I think the people that are going to even decent churches or have some sort of integrity about the old type of religion that we grew up on in Christianity and black culture know that Al Sharpton is pushing a different agenda than what great grandma pushed or grandma pushed. You know, and so I think the individual who has the itching ear finds Al Sharpton way more uh, exciting and in and, 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 and want to embrace his worldview, 
But they had a problem way before Al Sharpton ever got on the stage. Dave, God let you go. Great job as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com backslash fearless. Uh, Steve Kim, he's going to make Jamel Hill make sense. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll out to uh, Los Angeles and see if Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, uh, can make it make sense. Uh, Steve, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Jamel Hill uh, wrote a column for The Atlantic, but she also tweeted out uh, this. I had an abortion when I was 26, and while I disclosed this chapter of my life in my forthcoming memoir, I decided to publicly disclose it now because we need to understand all kinds of women get abortions and we don't need to justify shit. Uh, so what I found, you know, obviously her attitude about abortion is kind of what I expected, but what I found amazing is that Jamel Hill's writing a memoir. And I was like, memoir? That's gonna be a short memoir what other than the Trump tweet, uh, what's going to be in the memoir? So I just make it make sense for me that Jamel Hill's writing a memoir. Yeah. See, here's the thing. If it was, it was someone like Oprah Winfrey or Robin Roberts, I get it. Jamel Hill. Uh, by the way, my sources tell me that the chapter on her CNN Plus run is the shortest chapter ever <laughs> in literary history. <laughs> Like, that's a quick read. You could slow read it, speed read it. You're getting right through that chapter. I'm trying, that's, that's breezy. The cliff notes on that, even shorter. Now, here's the interesting thing about that tweet. And I want to get serious just for a little bit. And I'm not making an ethical or moral judgment on this issue. You know how I feel. This is a, a disturbing trend, Jason, in my opinion, that certain women now are using the fact that they had an abortion, and I'm not judging them, but they're using the fact that they went through this procedure almost as a badge of honor, don't you think? It's like, yes, I had one too. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that's certainly your choice. But the fact that she's going to put it in her memoir, the irony is, well, then aren't you actually explaining it when you said in that tweet, we don't have to explain, in her words, spit? Hmm. I, I, you make an excellent point. Uh, I, I think this whole thing spells out the delusion of Twitter, and and that you know she's got a million, million and a half Twitter followers. She thinks that that's like a real following, and there's all these people that are like, oh Jamel, we can't wait to hear about all your career struggles and highlights and blah blah, and and again. She thinks she's baby Oprah Winfrey. And, and she had a brief run at the Detroit Free Press, I think a brief run somewhere in Florida, maybe the Orlando Sentinel, a brief run at ESPN uh, that, you know, she did a podcast with 
Michael Smith, and then for a year they had a television show, or they had the uh, 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 show, the Sports Center, the Six. Mm. They had the His and Hers show. But again, none of this stuff. Uh, this isn't Mike Wilbon or Tony Kornheiser talking about, hey, we launched PTI and it became this super successful deal. She had a series of failed projects uh, at ESPN and she tweeted once about Donald Trump. That's my career. And, and so I, I just, what she's most known for is her tweet about uh, Trump, calling him a white supremacist, uh, she made some analogy to Adolf Hitler in a column that, that got her in trouble. She wrote a blog post about giving blowjobs that got her into trouble. Uh, <laughs> that's what she's known for, gaffes. And, and not great journalism, but she's going to do a memoir. I just don't get it. Yeah, uh, you have Oprah. She's an Oprah. And look, no offense to Jimmy Jackson, but she's been on more teams than him. But again, no offense to Jimmy Jackson, just drawing the analogy. You know, Jimmy got traded a lot. But here's, you know what? There's one aspect of that book or that memoir I would like to read is her explanation on the six, which I really believe negatively impacted the career of Michael Smith, who I thought was solid. And he got dragged down her rabbit hole I'm not so sure his career's ever recovered. And I've always thought in the deepest recesses of his mind, I wonder if he harbors any animosity. Because Michael Smith was always a solid journalist, reporter. I enjoyed when he'd come on, talk about the NFL. Then they get this great opportunity to get this kind of this primetime spot on SportsCenter. And it was an abject failure. I still remember watching some of the ad campaigns for that particular show. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is not going to work. Most of America is going to tune out. They're going to try to make this into their version of like, you know, the 90th and Park, one of those BET shows. I don't know the name of it. It just didn't flow. I remember watching 10 minutes of that program one time, and I thought it was eight too many. And it literally got the lowest ratings for that time slot for a sports center in the history of the four-letter network. But I am curious to see her explanation of why that show was a failure, because I truly believe up until that point, yeah, she was somewhat controversial. You would even say provocative. But I think that particular episode left her very, very embittered. And that's when she really took this turn to being radicalized. Disagree. I think she was already radicalized and headed down this path. <laughs> Seriously, and it's just because she was spoiled and given opportunities she hadn't earned. And, you know, she was the bearded lady. Oh, we got the, the black female sports columnist. That's unique. And let's pretend like she's uh, provocative and, and, you know, an important voice. And, and, and I say this, and again, it sounds like I just can't stand Jamel Hill. When Jamel Hill first got to Orlando, I tried to help her out. I, I wanted her to be successful. I, ideas, suggestions, things like that. Uh, and, but, you know, black woman in that field, she got pushed up the, the food chain without earning anything. 
And, and once you do that to a person, they just become entitled. And, mm. you know, her entitlement spilled out over to that SC6 and her entitlement didn't care that she was running over Michael Smith's career. I'm not sure if Michael Smith has snapped out of it and, and figured out what happened to him or if he's even free to given the woke culture and you yeah. can't second guess black women. And so he, he can't tell the truth about that, but that is what happened to him. He got in bed with a very selfish person and an entitled person and his career got run over in the process and he's not free to say anything about it and no one else in the, the NABJ or in the, in the black media sports space can say anything about it. But uh, all right, I've spent enough time bad-mouthing Jamel. Let's get to her <laughs> approval rating so I can bad-mouth her some more. All right, Steve, uh, she's a troll. Uh, over uh, Twitter, her primary employer is Twitter. Uh, she occasionally does a good job of trolling people. So I gave her an eight in job performance as a uh, Twitter troll and social justice warrior. Jason, I hope you're sitting down because this, this may stun you, but given what you said, that her job is to be like the media version of Sister Soldier 2.0, she does a good job of doing what she does, and she's made it into a lucrative profession and career. I'm going to give her a 25. Look, she's parlayed a lot of this into millions of dollars. From a capitalistic standpoint, I got to give her a salute. As much as I disagree with almost everything she says, I cannot knock the hustle. I, I think she got over on ESPN, but... Trust me, the, the money raining in from all these other projects isn't near what people think. Uh, character, uh, I don't find her to be that high of character. Again, she, as I've already talked about, she's entitled and spoiled. I gave her a four in character. Okay, this is more in line with what you're probably expecting from me. She gets a big, flat zero. She knows what she's doing. I don't even think she really means a lot of what she says, but she knows how to push the right buttons. She's exploited the emotions of a lot of her followers. So that's why she gets a big damn nada. Mm, got to be careful. Now you got to judge her on authenticity. And you just said she doesn't yeah. uh, believe most of the things she says. Uh, and I actually do think she believes it because, again, it's again, the, the name of her memoir will probably be Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Uh, and because that is what she is and she's very authentic about it. Uh, so I'll give her a 20 for Diary of a Mad Black Woman mixed with a little bit of waiting to exhale. OK, you know what? I, you got me thinking. I think the title should be Dying on This Jamel Hill because that's what she does. All, this, all the time. I mean, she literally has a mother that I believe that she admitted voted for Trump and she's still calling him Adolf Hitler. Uh, you know what? I, you've got me rethinking about that. I gave her a 20, but that was like two and a half hours ago when I just woke up. Uh, I'm going to have to have a recount on that one. I gave her a 20, but you got me thinking maybe she isn't that authentic. She's not. Uh, it factor, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give her a five because she's taken very little talent and, and gotten some pretty unique jobs and is relevant despite having very, very little talent. So I'll give her a five at It Factor. Yeah, It Factor, I, I look at it as the ability to attract an audience, to have an, a, a buzz and to be able to keep it. And it means that you're part of something special. 
she's probably crashed more franchises than Carl I can, except he meant he means to do it. <laughs> so I, I, I got to give her a zero. Flat out zero on that mm. one. All right. Well, we do have agreement here. We both got her at a dumpster fire. I've got her at 37. You've got her at 45. Uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, good, <coughs> good job as always. All right, we're going to keep it moving. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications, hit the subscribe. Karen Parker, I'm still looking for you. You won my little weight guest competition. Uh, hit those comments or get, hit me in the live chat tonight, and uh, I'll hunt you down and give you your gift. Uh, Delano Squires, Professor D, the smartest man on the show. Next. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back. Uh, time to get smarter and better and more biblically sound. Uh, Delano Squires, uh, we're going to circle back uh, to my conversation about Al Sharpton and how I believe he's one of the most poisonous heretics of all time. Uh, Al Sharpton has argued that the pro-life movement has hijacked uh, the Bible and Jesus. How can the pro-life movement, the pro-life movement, be in contradiction to the Bible and Jesus? I'll just call this Make It Make Sense Part 2. <laughs> make Al Sharpton make sense to me here. Jason, I think it makes sense if you consider Al Sharpton's purpose, right? He, he uses the, the term or the title reverend, but really what he is is a political operative, right, who has an air of some sort of, you know, religious authority because he calls himself you know, Reverend Al Sharpton. And, and when you consider what his political program is about, right, which is... Um, from his perspective, some combination of black liberation, social justice, right, um, freeing the oppressed, but for him it's oppression uh, by virtue or uh, freedom from oppression of poverty and, you know, of the like. Al, Al Sharpton sees anything that gets in the way of the, the Democratic Party platform as a net negative for himself and his followers. Um, so to the extent that the pro-life movement is associated with the right, because our, our politics is so divided that it literally is one party is for um, killing babies and the other one is not. They can dress it up in whatever euphemisms and cliches they'd like, but that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. And Al Sharpton is a person who um, would prefer that you know, he gets whatever else he has in his sort of uh, political platform past, voting rights, more funding for education and housing and healthcare, so on and so on and so forth, um, than to do anything to 
uh, address the issue of abortion, which Jason, as you know, has a disproportionate effect in the black community. So Sharpton and, and his ilk are the type that see uh, liquor ads in the black community, fried chicken spots, um, all of these things as existential threats to, to black people. But when Planned Parenthood plants roots and open up an abortion facility in the middle of Brooklyn, he sees that as um, something that will lead to black liberation. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised that he says it. What's interesting is that he says it on Morning Joe because Joe Scarborough used to be known as a conservative. But um, I don't, I stopped watching Morning Joe a long time ago. The sense that I got is that if Joe wants to stay in good graces with his wife, um, he feels he needs to parrot certain talking points. So in that, in that sense, Joe Scarborough, Scarborough um, is no different than many liberals, white and black, who've been henpecked by the women in their lives and now do not f feel that they have the space or authority to speak with any type of moral clarity to any of these issues. You know, you s called Al Sharpton a political operative, and, and I believe that in the truest sense. If, if you even go back to his problems with the IRS that seem to have never gotten straightened out, it, it, it makes me believe like, well, hold on. And, and again, you go back to uh, there's allegations or reporting that he's an FBI informant and has been for a long time. And so I, I truly believe he is a prop. I think they call it a psyop or whatever. He's kept in a certain position by certain establishment forces, institutions, whatever, to play a role. And I believe that role is, Al, we're going to let you continue to call yourself a reverend and present yourself as some sort of spiritual figure. And you're going to help us move. And again, for the Democratic Party, so much of their base is tied to getting 90% of the black vote. And it's like when the Democratic Party goes completely secular, Al, we need you to stand there and be the symbol to black people that it's okay to abandon your biblical beliefs, your, your, your Christian views. It's okay to do that in, in subservience to the Democratic Party. That is his role in this society. Absolutely, and it's, it's been his role in this society for quite some time, actually decades, I, I would argue. But the, the thing about it is that Al Sharpton, in, in that sense, has discipled many other members of the black clergy who operate in the same way, right? Whose entire campaign as it relates to their, to their churches around quote unquote social justice or racial justice. And these are people, uh, Jason, I, I, I sent you a, a video earlier of um, the Bishop, Bishop William Murphy um, out, of, out of Chicago, all right? He's a very popular uh, gospel singer and it was a couple of clips on woke preacher clips, and he was talking about how um, the, the vasectomy clinics are still open, and why don't all the men get vasectomies? And he was uh, defending same-sex marriage and saying, well, if, if these people were really pro-life, they wouldn't um, allow 18-year-olds uh, to buy guns, and all of the typical defenses. And at one point, he actually said that it's the, the church's job is to legislate morality 
and the government's job is to legislate the law of God. Now, I'm not sure what he, what distinction he makes between those two things, but he was basically trying to say, it's not the government's job to legislate morality. So for him, uh, abortion, again, like Al Sharpton, like, like uh, many other pastors who focus on social justice, for him, abortion is a human right, right? And they see any infringement on these human rights as eventually an infringement on all human rights. And, and for pastors like that, that includes same-sex marriage, that includes um, you know, anything having to do with the LGBT community. So all of those things come in that package. So I'm not surprised by it. It's unfortunate. William Murphy's church, I think, is about 20,000 people. Um, and sometimes, I remember, Jason, I, I saw a book one time, um, I think it was at a church I was going to, that said, I'm paraphrasing, the title was, if God is so good, then why are all the black community so messed up? It was something to that effect. And part of the reason is because a, a lot of uh, black Christians, and this is not exclusive to the black community, but we're talking about Sharpton and leaders in, in his vein, a lot of black Christians are being poorly discipled. Al, Al Sharpton could not exegete a text of scripture if you paid him a million dollars. Even if his FBI handlers were feeding him the, the, the answers through, through his wire, he could not do it. So what ends up happening is that these people who read the text, Old Testament, New Testament, prophecy, gospel, epistles, have no idea what the text means. And, and that's why you see that um, some of the same issues that are going on in the world seem to be even more uh, uh, prevalent in some of these churches. And that's one of the things that William Murphy said. He said, all y'all church folk are hypocrites. You act like you're so holy, but but y'all engaging in, in, in illegal sex and y'all are sneaky and freaky. And one of my thoughts is, well, if you were uh, uh, discipling your people correctly and enacting church discipline for your members, as it says that you should do in the scripture, then maybe you wouldn't have some of these problems. But that's that's not what these churches are set up to do. Um, so it, it, it really is a shame because these are guys in the William Murphy's case. He, he the guys behind him were wearing shirts, I think, that said Iron Man. But these guys are really softies when it comes to the word. You mentioned about what these churches are set up to do, and I just I'm just want to make it cl plain to our viewers of what I'm arguing, and I think you're, you're somewhat arguing. This is certainly what I'm arguing. The, the church has been set up to deliver votes for the Democratic Party, and <laughs> that is the primary function of the black church. And uh, the other side would argue that the white churches are set up to deliver votes to the Republican Party. And, and maybe that's true. I, again, I, I have not belonged to a white church. I've visited two or three or maybe a half dozen in my lifetime. I, I'm not sure. But, but, but I do know that... <clears throat> And I hate to say it, and I hate to, I hate that this is true, but, but my perception is, and again, I don't have a great deal of experience uh, with the white church, but, but the things I hear the white evangelicals being accused of, pro-life being a prime example, it, it's like, well, they're trying to be obedient to God. And 
the Democrats and Al Sharpton are trying to detach us from obedience to God to serve the Democratic Party. I'm a non-voter. I don't want to be accused of being some political partisan. I'm just speaking the facts. One side seems to be trying to hold on, maybe just barely, to some of the obedience to God. And another side is saying, screw that, political power is what we need. It'll solve all of our problems. And, and we have a system here where, and again, because I loved how you talked about Al Sharpton has been discipling other black ministers around the country. And, and again, if you go back, I was researching this morning, last night, Al Sharpton has been promoting same-sex marriage since like 2003, 2004, when he started running for president. And so long before Barack Obama flipped the script and came out of the closet, long before all the black voters got on board, Al Sharpton was already there. And that's why I say like his cultural influence is pretty significant. I think we can laugh at him. He was the fat guy. He, he, he's, he's not that smart and all that. We can laugh at all of that. But his cultural influence, I think, is significant. Absolutely. That, that's, that's, um, that's not even debatable. Uh, there was a point, Jason, where um, anytime an incident having to do with race would take place, you know, the media would either go to Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson, and black folk eventually got tired of that. Now, I think his influence was starting to wane, but President Obama resurrected him from the dead, so to speak, and he ended up getting a show on MSNBC, going to the White House dozens of times during the Obama presidency. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the two of them had a symbiotic relationship where, you know, Sharpton lent Obama some of his street cred and Obama lent Sharpton some of his political legitimacy. Um, and, and the two of them together, you know, sort of feasted off off of each other in that sense. But again, it's 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 a shame to see how thoroughly compromised um, in general the, the black leadership class has become. And even among sort of the black clergy, and obviously I'm not talking about all, I'm, I'm not saying all, but some of the most prominent black clergymen, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Raphael Warnock, who's a senator, who pastors the same church that Dr. Martin Luther King pastored, um, Reverend William Barber, right, who led the Moral Mondays uh, uh, sort of events in North Carolina for a number of years. These are all men who are politicians first. Now, now, Jason, to your point, they would accuse people like us of doing the same thing. And my response would be simple. When, when I come across an issue, right, culture, issue of life, of what a marriage is, what is a woman, um, issues of race, or any, anything of, of importance, socially or culturally, I go to the scripture first. And I, I try to understand what it is that God says about a particular issue. Now, sometimes it's crystal clear, like it'll say, thou shalt not murder, right? And other times you have to infer certain things. But what I don't do is confuse the, the, the ruler, that straight edge, that is eternal and transcendent, that has objective truth of God's word. I don't confuse his word with whatever crooked stick that I'm holding in my hand. So when I find that my opinions and God's word differ on a particular issue, I know exactly which of those things need to submit. But uh, Sharpton and, and his ilk 
have a disordered view of the scripture. So when they come across something, you know, if God's word is clear on a particular thing, man shall not lie with man, or it says God created male and female, or it says, you know, um, he created each human being in, in, in his image, and Sharpton has a different political agenda, then he makes the scripture submit. And he says, well, that's old and outdated. Now, they never say that about anything having to do with immigration or health care. Then it's always, oh, yes, trust the Bible. The Bible is reliable. But when it comes to God's definitions, I mean, you can do an entire treatise just on, on Genesis. You can just look through Genesis, how God defines human beings, how he defines the sanctity of life, how he defines a marriage, how he defines a family. All of those things you can just get in the first book. And whenever those things butt up against the, the sort of leftist orthodoxy, then the left always makes the scripture submit. And that's the difference between, um, generally speaking, between the religious left and the religious right. I, I just want to add to that in terms of, and you know, basically echo what you're saying in terms of what I've had to do is acknowledge that my ways are not the right ways. And so there's been this book written, and so I can just defer all decisions to this book, the Bible, and that's where I go. That is my guide. I, I literally do not sit and say, oh, I wonder what Republicans or conservatives think. I, I just don't. I, I go, what's the Bible say? And I'll just have to, you know what? Even if I'm, let's say tonight I overeat, I'll know that I'm wrong. I'll know, and I won't lie to myself and say that I'm not wrong because the Bible's told me it's got a clear opinion on gluttony. And, and so that, that's, I had to tell someone this weekend about same-sex marriage. I was like, hey man, it's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says, and I'm just gonna defer to that. I don't even have to think about it. And, and so what they have cleverly done and using people like Al Sharpton is to say, that black men like yourself, myself, who, who are just like, I'm gonna hand it over to God and what the Bible says, oh, well, you've sold out. You're actually trying to please the white man or the, conser the conservative or the Republican, and it has nothing to do with that. Now, have I figured out like that these values that I've chose to embrace, these biblical values, have put me uh, have given me something in common with white evangelicals? Yes, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm not gonna run from that. Because trust me, any black person who embraces these biblical values, I have a great affinity for them. That's again, I, 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 I love Delano Squires, period. <laughs> because we have these <laughs> shared values. And what, right, right, right. same with Dave Shannon, same right. with TJ Moe. Right. Uh, and so that's the common thread. I was out to dinner with a bunch of ministers a couple of days ago, and I, I kept trying to say, like, you know, they have us so convinced about leaning into all these identities outside of Christ, and it's all intentional because it promotes division. If I meet right. a man, and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and he says, hey, I'm a Christian, we now have common ground. We have something to right. talk about and something to connect over. If I meet a man and say, hey, I'm black, and he says, hey, I'm white, there's no connection. There's no common ground shared. And that's why I prefer to lean into 
Christianity is the thing that could, or religious faith that could tie us all together and we yeah. keep rejecting it and want to lean into all, oh, hey, I'm gay. Well, I'm straight. Well, let's don't talk about sex then. But if I right. say I'm a Christian, we can talk about anything, including sex, because it's like, we'll share that belief that, you know, hey, that's between a man and a woman inside of a marriage. It just gives you, it promotes common ground and unity, and these other identities don't. Well, well let, me, let me make an addendum to your, to your um, perspective. It should promote common ground and unity. Because one of the things that I wrote in, in my earlier column this week is that a lot of these so-called womb-to-tomb evangelicals, now, now I'm putting Sharpton to the side, right? Because he's a, he's a functional atheist. But the people I'm talking about are ones who would see themselves as sort of biblically orthodox. So in theory, we, we would have similar views on what the Bible says about things. But in practice, what I've noticed and I named people specifically. I named, you know, Jamar Tisby. I named the Ant Campaign. I named David French. I could name Benjamin Watson, a person who I, who I actually have respect for. These are all people whose uh, announcements, whose newsletters since, even since the Dobbs leak, before the actual opinion came down, all included some form of well, now's the time for pro-life evangelicals to show that they're truly pro all of life, which means that they need to advocate for um, uh, housing and health care and more money for education and so on and so on and so forth. So I've gotten so used to it, Jason, it's almost become, you know, like the, that speech that every um, blue check liberal gives after they get COVID. I, I got a COVID-19 diagnosis. I'm so glad to be uh, vaccinated and boosted. You should go on and get your vaccinations and boosters today. It's, it's a similar thing. It's, it's sort of a rote repetition. And what I found is, and the way I put it in my column, is that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a womb to tomb evangelical to mention the term marriage in any of their commentary uh, around a post-rural world. Because for whatever reason, these people think that the, that the solution to the issue of abortion um, or the issue of, of uh, non-marital births, for that matter, is more big government, right? They, they think the government is more responsible for my children than I am. And that's one of my problems. They, the one thing that makes them distinct is the fact that they are Christians and where they could offer a watching world a biblical sexual ethic that starts with, with, a, with a holy and all-knowing creator who created man in his own image, male and female, he created he them, right? With those two, male and female, whose uh, design is so precise that their bodies fit together for a purpose. And that primary purpose is reproduction, right? And, and that same God creates marriage, a context in which those two, male and female, are to live in covenant with one another for one another for their entire lifetime and to be fruitful and multiply with children and for their children to do the same thing unto the generations. Instead of these womb to tomb evangelicals saying that in a culture, something that would make them distinct, they talk like you know, your average Atlantic writer, uh, more big government, more housing, more health care, as if the government doesn't spend tons of money on these things already for, for low-income mothers. And as if the, the reason that a woman has an abortion is because the her local school district doesn't 
you know, fund the kids at $30,000 per, per student. It's only $29,500 per student. So it, it really is frustrating. And, and I think what you're seeing is in every area of, of social life, you're seeing these separations taking place. Um, I talked about this on Twitter yesterday. In the black community, there's a great separation between sort of the BLM wing of black America uh, and the normals, right, for now. Now, the normals may end up splitting, but I posted a video of a woman who leads an organization in Washington, D.C. Um, that is, they say that they, they are fighting in the spirit of Harriet Tubman and Ida B. Wells. And on their homepage, it says, abortion by any means necessary. Now, these are people who take, who appropriate one of Malcolm X's most famous quotes, and they apply it to killing off the black community. And they do so in the name of liberation. Jason, these are not my people in any way, shape, or form. I don't care if they grew up in the same district as my parents back in the old country, if we went to the same public school in Queens, these are not my people. Well, I don't know, I'm gonna give you the final word. Thank you, great job. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Thank you, Jason. I hear tomorrow, that means we'll see you tomorrow. Negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'll break my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed When we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want Oh!